The good thing about being perpetually involved in the political process is that you never get caught off guard. The thing is, when you're not always involved in politics, you end up being at the mercy of people who hand out information at the last minute. And that really is the there's no better way to define election season because election season is basically like a last minute uh, or last ditch effort to gain voters, which is the absolute wrong way to go about securing votes. But it is the establishment's response to voter apathy. But one of the things we got to ask is why there's voter apathy in the first place. Is it the voters fault or is it, you know, uh, the establishment's fault? And we really have to ask this question as it relates to black people and really um, as it relates to understanding the power of the black vote. That's really what I'm after here uh, on this episode of Making a Difference today. But I think it's important to understand how we got here. I think about in 1903, I think about W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, who was one of the founders of the NAACP. And he was, you know, really encouraged about the idea of voting and, you know, what it meant and what it represented. But then a little, little over 50 years later, in 1956, he wrote in a publication about why he wouldn't uh, why he wouldn't be voting in that year's presidential election. Now, I want to keep that in perspective, but I also want you to hear uh, this very special commentary by just one of the beloved figures uh, of the civil rights movement, none other than Malcolm X. Why is America, why does this loom to be such an explosive political year? Because this is the year of politics. This is the year when all of the white politicians are going to come into the Negro community. You never see them until election time. You can't blame them until election time. They're going to come in with false promises. And as they make these false promises, they're going to feed our frustrations. And this will only serve to make matters worse. I'm no politician. I'm not even a student of politics. I'm not a Republican nor a Democrat nor an American, and got sense enough to know it. I'm one of the 22 million black victims of the Democrats. One of the 22 million black victims of the Republicans, and one of the 22 million black victims of Americanism. And when I speak, I don't speak as a Democrat or a Republican. I speak as a victim of America's so-called democracy. You and I have never seen democracy. All we've seen is hypocrisy. Today's episode will make sharp criticisms of both the Democrat and Republican parties with the understanding that the two-party system is not a means to an end for black people, but is instead a battleground between white liberals and white conservatives a battle that happens at the expense of black people. This episode will also be very critical of why the political establishment waits until the last minute to uh, try to get people politically involved, to, you know, beg for people's vote at the last minute. This episode will be personal. This episode will be political. And my prayer is that at the end of this episode, that black people will understand the power of their vote. It's time to make a difference. Um, To be a Negro, to be a Negro in this country, and to be um, relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage almost, almost all of the time. You wonder why I spit the truth and not to make no dough.
Welcome to Make a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. If y'all know me like in real life, <laughs> when I say real life, um, I guess just uh, if you guys see my Facebook posts and stuff like that, y'all know me. I've been basically been getting stuff off my chest, like little bits and pieces off my chest for like a little bit. As much as humanly possible today, man, I'm going to empty the clip. <laughs> I mean, I'm just I'm uh, I'm really disappointed with the political process as it relates to, you know, we're in this. You know, it's, it's midterms. It's a, obviously a, a very important year. People was talking, you know, cash uh, in 2016 when Trump got elected. Like, oh, oh, but wait till 2018, though. So we here we like 20 days or rather really inside of 20 days uh, before like a huge election, Tuesday, November 6th. And I just don't like the energy, man. Like, you know, a lot of people are talking about, you know, like a blue wave is coming. And, you know, I understand that, you know, Democrats are running on like this. um you know, running on a basically like a message of, of you know, anti-Trumpism, which I mean, you know, it really wasn't. That, but that was the message that y'all ran on to, uh, you know, for him to not be elected president. And it didn't work. So it's like, you know, you're still running on that. You really, you know, Democrats aren't really talking about issues. You know, Republicans are out here just I mean, they just they just don't care right now, man. It's like it's such a bad look for everybody, really. You know, when you look at the Kavanaugh deal, when you look at just how Trump is just conducting himself in general, like, I mean, you just ran like an actual campaign with issues, you know, and really just gave, you know, voters like something to like to inspire them. I mean, I feel like Democrats could get that thing, you know, just quick, fast in a hurry. But that's not what we're saying, man. It's just so much, you know, chaos politically going on. And, you know, I really have to try to relate this to black people, to the black vote, what it means for us and why. I feel like we're being left out of the picture before I jump into uh really jump into this conversation, man. Just want to let you guys know as always, like this is a, this is a dialogue. This is not like a soliloquy. This is not just me talking, you know, into outer space, but this is actually a dialogue. If you guys have questions, comments, ideas, however you may feel about the, the conversation, like by all means, hit me up. You can hit me up on the actual SoundCloud page. Uh, I would encourage you guys to actually follow me on SoundCloud. Uh, at making a difference it's m-a-k-i-n a difference um you can follow me uh like i said on soundcloud you can also hit me up on facebook uh facebook.com backslash making m-a-k-i-n a different show uh you can also hit me up uh look by google mail by gmail you can go to uh making a difference show m-a-k-i-n a difference show at gmail.com those are all the ways you can hit me up if you want to be on the mailing list uh i just gave you guys the email address making a different show at gmail.com Got some faults on there now. The good thing about that is it's like whenever I drop a podcast, like boom, bam, you know about it. So, I mean, that's that's a good look. But, man, let's jump into this political discussion because there's so many different things to talk about. I told you guys it's going to be personal. It's going to be political. And hopefully the end of this, man, black people will know what to do. Because, like, in all honesty and actuality, man, when I look at the two-party system in this country, man, like, black folks really need to hit the reset button. <laughs> and... You know, I know there's a lot of conversations that's like kind of like gumming things up and, you know, people really don't have that like that, that wiggle room to move. I don't care about none of that uh, when it comes to, you know, because the first thing that I think people kind of well, people associate when you say, well, man, I ain't fooling with Democrats is they automatically assume that like you're saying, well, you know, I'm rolling with GOP. I'm, I'm rolling with the Republicans. And like, that's not it. Like, I'm not I'm not going full Kanye. You know, what I mean, like I'm not out here, you know. Like, per, like professing to be a free thinker when really I'm just like, you know, out here perpetrating a fraud, fraud or, you know, doing the whole Kanye thing. I'm really sitting up here, like I said, from that perspective of, you know, the ballot or the bullet, like where Malcolm X was at that point 
where he's basically saying like look black people can be a swing vote black people should be a swing vote like it should not be predetermined like how black people are going to vote we should as a community as a people look at issue look at the issues look at you know how people are talking before the election okay what can you do for us what can you do for our people like vote as an actual consciousness just not you know you know have people feel like they're you know entitled to our vote because there are definitely disadvantages to that and i think we're seeing that now you know with the democratic party where i mean and unless and, and, and when i talk about that like this i think there are just so many important things that we need to understand we need to understand when you talk about black representation black representation is not just putting a black face in front of the issues because i can put a black face on the police uh for i can make i can i can give you a black police chief you know after you know, a situation of police brutality and you feel like, oh, well, it's, it's a black face on. I feel like, you know, justice is going to be served. But we've seen in this country too many times where it's folk and folk. Like how many times do I got to say that on the podcast? You know what I mean? Like we got to get past that whole idea of, oh, they got a black dude up there. Everything going to be all right. Nah, you got to hold, you got to try every spirit. You got to hold everybody accountable. So this show is going to be about a lot of that, man. It's, it's going to keep it a buck. Um, look, if, if your feelings get hurt easily, bro, I don't know what to do for you, you know, over these next uh, these next few minutes. Before I get into my disappointments, you know, with Democrats and Republicans, I really want to make this a, a local discussion in terms of politics to start out. Because, as I said, you know, uh, I'm able to give it more of a of a personal perspective when I talk about it locally. Um, and I'm not going to name names, but I am going to just outline as an individual who considers himself a part of the media, who's been part of the media in this area for, you know, like, I mean, the better part of 15 years. And when I say this area, like I am speaking from the perspective of, you know, I am uh, actually a resident of, you can say North Augusta, you know, Belvedere, that area. But I've had the good fortune of covering local news in not only Aiken County and Aiken, South Carolina, but also, you know, in Richmond County in Augusta, Georgia. So, and you guys have heard as I've done the podcast, I've, I've talked to some local candidates. I've talked to local candidates, both out of Richmond County, both in Augusta, commissioners, the like. I've also had the good fortune to talk to, you know, candidates and incumbents in Aiken County, folks who are running for, you know, county council, different things like that. <clears throat> Personally, I like to talk to candidates as soon as possible. Like as soon as you're telling me you're campaigning, like let's hear what you have to say. If you announce your campaign a year from Election Day, I would like to talk to you a year from Election Day. That's not to say it's gonna that's going to be the only time I want to talk to you. It's just to say that, look, I think it's important for the community to know who you are, what you stand for, what you represent. And let's have that discussion. We can have that discussion when you announce. We can have that discussion, you know, six months before Election Day. We can have that discussion three months before Election Day. We can have that discussion a week before Election Day. But the fact remains my job as someone who considers himself a part of the media, my job is to inform the community. My job in a lot of these cases and with a, with a number of folks that we've had on the show, I'm actually informing myself as a concerned citizen, as a conscientious voter. When I had Sean Kerrigan on the show, understand Sean Kerrigan is a candidate for the second congressional district. I live in the second congressional district. So when I'm asking Sean Kerrigan questions, I'm asking him questions not just for the community at large. I'm asking him uh, questions that are personal to me. So like when I talk about politics, like 
and and I think you guys can kind of tell maybe in my voice and kind of the urgency, you know what I mean? It's not not that that mellow, you know, however, you know, <laughs> joint. I'm I'm really telling you like how I feel right now. But I will say this, just like and and shout out Sean Kerrigan, man. We um had a fish fry yesterday, man. Um I I commend any politician or any candidate or any anybody who's involved in the political process who makes themselves accessible. Accessibility, in my opinion, is the most important. Well, accessibility and transparency, I think, are the most important attributes for anybody running for political office or anybody who holds political office. You got to be accessible and you got to be transparent. How can you call yourself, you know, a man or a woman of the people if you're not available for the people? How can you call yourself a man or a woman of the people if when people ask you a question, you can't give them the whole truth and nothing but the truth? With that being said, it's disappointing to me that local candidates are, you know, make themselves don't make themselves as readily available as they need to. And don't get me wrong. I'm definitely not trivializing um, the awesome burden of responsibility um, that is required with, with running for political office. I'm not uh, trivializing how intimidating it can be if it's your first time running for political office. I would recommend to anybody running for political office. Um, I would say before you consider running, I would say take a year or two to just familiarize yourself with the political process. Um, I would even go so far as to say four years. Um, but I, but just for the sake of argument, just for the sake of this discussion, I'm gonna say well, I'm gonna say two years um, before you decide to run. Involve yourself with the political process. Go. You know, if you're running for city council, you got to go to city council meetings. You got to know what these people are talking about. You got to know what's on the agenda. You got to engage some of these folks, you know, who are on these boards who are, you know, if it's a commissioner or whatever, like you got to let them know who you are. What you're doing there is, I mean, you're creating inroads, you're creating networks, you're creating something that's vitally important to any campaign, which is name recognition. Like these things are important, but also what you're doing is you're creating like this, you know, you're creating a culture of accessibility. It's a culture where, you know, you're saying, okay, you know, I, well, you know, this meeting's going to be on Monday at seven. People get used to seeing you. It's a way of essentially grooming yourself for that role. But yeah, back to my general point. Um, it disappoints me that more political candidates don't make themselves accessible. And I get it. You know, you got people now, you know, with the advent of social media, you know, you got, you don't, you're trying to differentiate about, you know, who is, who's reputable, who's trolling different things like that. In my, in my estimation, that is a part of the process. That is a part of, you know, testing you or trying you to see if you have what it takes to run for public office. You can't run for public office like in a box. You got to understand that when you saying, okay, I nominate, you know, myself um, to, you know, I'm, I'm announcing myself as a candidate to run for this office. Like understand, like, the doors of the church are open. <laughs> I mean, like is 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 wide open. Like you know, whatever people can and will find out about you, that's what they're gonna try to do. And in all honesty, they should because when you announce yourself as a candidate, you're you know you're expecting people to trust you with you know with a constituency, which means you're expecting people to trust you you know to allocate tax dollars and different things like that. So I mean, it literally comes with the territory. Also, if you're gonna take on the burden of responsibility of running for public office. And I, this is not just for individuals who are running, but I think this is also something that I want the, that I want the public 
and I want black people to understand, like politics costs money. Like you have to be willing to put your money behind the things that you believe in. I think that's one of the advantages. Well, I'll put it to you this way. You may wonder how Trump got in office. Trump didn't even win the popular vote. Like when you look at not only just Trump, but, you know, I, I, I always like I always like to differentiate between the Republican Party and the Tea Party because Trump and his cronies, that's basically like that's the Tea Party. And so you have to ask yourself, how in the world did a political minority get to gain so much political influence to the point where they've been able to secure a number of elected offices and the White House? The answer is very simple. They put their money behind the candidate, their, their candidates. And that creates an interesting paradox for black folk, because what do we always talk about on this show? We talk about wealth disparity. So I understand that, you know, when when we're talking about, you know, candidates and financially supporting candidates that we don't necessarily have the wealth that white folks have. But my contention is this, is that whatever resources we do have and whatever opportunities that we do have to support candidates, we have to do these things. We can't pull back on that saying, well, you know, these candidates don't need our money. And, you know, I I know some people will say, well, if I give this person my money, they're just going to, you know, mismanage it anyway. We can't have that ideology. I feel like it's an unfortunate ideology. I feel like it's an ideology that dooms not just black politics, but I feel like it dooms other, you know, outlets. When we look at, you know, black colleges and different things like that, we have to be willing to invest in things that we believe in. If you believe in a candidate, invest your money in that candidate, not just your time, but also invest your money. And speaking of investing time, look, if you're going to sign on to, you know, support a candidate, if you're going to sign on to say, hey, I'm here to help you win this election, understand that you're basically on call. You know, I've like I said, I've, I've had an opportunity to be, you know, really in some, for lack of a better term, like in some of the war rooms with for local political candidates and. It disappoints me, man, especially when you have candidate. A lot of the a lot of these uh, campaigns, you know, are pretty close to the vest. You know, it's family helping out it's you know, close friends helping out. It's all that's well and good. If you're going to help out with a political campaign, please, if you can't give one hundred and ten percent to the campaign, don't do it. Because the thing about local politics is and what breaks my heart is, is that I see there are so many different opportunities for um for these candidates to win, but it's just like, it's like, it's like running in a leaky boat. It's like, you're trying to, you know, you're you're trying to tread water and you know, you may not be trying to go too far, but it's like, you can't get anywhere because there's so many holes in the boat. You know, it's, well, we don't have enough funding. You know, we don't have consistent volunteers, just a number of things that ultimately, you know, end up to, you know, a candidate falling short, you know, of that is of the desired goal, which is of course to be elected going to come back in a couple of minutes. I want to talk about just my disappointment, you know, in terms of, you know, the political establishment, they really try to engage uh, voters at the last minute. You know, you'll see a lot of this energy, like maybe 30 days before the election. Uh, In some of the cases I'm seeing, you know, folks aren't putting out folks have just now start putting out signs. What I don't like about it is, you know, people will not put forth the, the consistent effort. And then when they lose, they want to blame black people for not voting. And I'm I'm not going for that anymore, but we're going to talk more about that after this break. You're listening to Making a Difference. I am Gloria Frazier, and I have been your Georgia State Representative for House District 126 for over a decade. 
You have trusted me with this awesome responsibility since 2006, and I ask that you trust me once again with your vote in the general election on Tuesday, November the 6th. I could tell you about the various committees I have served on in the State House or the recognition in the form of awards I have received. I would rather much talk about the importance of serving my community. Service that takes a shape in the form of a world-class cyber center and training facility here in Augusta, Georgia. $50 million have been allocated by the state in this facility, which will bring jobs and opportunities to Richmond County. Service that takes shape in the form of dedication to education and affordable health care. Service isn't just about buildings. It's about building up people, whether it's a child in pre-K or a senior citizen. That's why it's so important that you vote for me in November. Involve yourself in the political process, not just when you vote, but also informing yourself about what's going on in your city, your state, and this country. I am grateful for your support in the primary and for the past 13 years. Now I'm asking you to continue your support by re-electing me, Gloria Frazier, as your Georgia State Representative for House District 126. Paid for by the Committee to Re-elect Gloria Frazier. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Uh, not going to waste any time, man. I just, <laughs> I'm going to tell it like it is today. I don't like, you know, these last minute political uh, campaigns. I, I'm going to tell you, I, I feel like there should have been, there should have been so many lessons that we learned from 2016 that we did not learn. Um, not only as black people, but I just think just politically and particularly as it, as it relates to Democrats, you know, I feel like the Democrats and I'm just, I'm just gonna talk about Clinton versus Trump, Hillary versus uh, Donald. I feel like the Democrats ran a campaign where they felt like they had it in the bag. And so I distinctly remember not seeing, you know, TV ads, not really, you know, hearing any radio ads from the Clinton camp until October. It was very late in the game, you know, before they started running these ads and they just did not engage voters. I know they didn't engage black voters outside of, you know, the traditional uh, you know, the, the whole hot sauce deal. And that's that's such a disingenuous way to engage voters. But I feel like, you know, that's that's really politics as usual. And people don't understand why there's such a disconnect between, I think, just the political establishment and black people. I'll tell you for myself and just as I as, as I do the pod, as I'm doing the podcast and how I've reached out to candidates, I reached out to local political candidates as as soon as june you know as soon as i was able to get the information about some of the folks who were running because i understand how important it is especially if you're a first time if you're running for the first time to jump in get your feet wet you know to really get the ball rolling and so i reached out to candidates as soon as june now think about that june july august september october november that you know you may have liked to have you know started a little sooner but it gives you an ample amount of time to not only you know start a culture of name recognition but to I mean, just to really let people know who you are again, I, that's something I don't, I, that's something I don't take for granted. And I'm not even politically affiliated. I'm just a cat that just cares about the community, man. So, you know, there were some candidates who I can just say from, I mean, I'm telling you no lie, man. It's cats who I spoke to in June. I'm like, yeah, we want to get you on the podcast. I'm not charging people to be on the podcast. Do I charge people for advertising? Of course. And you know, we have, um, like I said, I'm really just, Look, really, tell, I ain't telling you all my business, but I'm just keeping it a buck, man, because, of course, advertising is, is you know, important to to media. 
So we have options, you know, for people to advertise on the show. But by and large, you know, when we do the podcast, I, it's, look, it's me. I put the gas in the car. I go out and meet the candidates. You know, I we talk to them. We record it. We upload it for y'all to listen to. I do that as a service to the community because I know a lot of y'all are not politically engaged. A lot of the opportunities that people have to really listen to candidates because there's so much going on. And not only because y'all have so much going on with your kids and jobs and different things like that. Not that I want to make excuses for y'all because y'all need to step it up and go to some of these meetings. But just keeping it real. The other part of that is, is like candidates are not making themselves readily available They're They don't have adequate presentations to really close the gap between, you know, themselves and between their constituency or their potential constituency. So that's what making that's that's a, a something I really take pride in in terms of making a difference. And again, I'm just using Sean Kerrigan as an example, because for me, it's like, you know, who is Sean Kerrigan? Oh, he's running against Joe Wilson. And Joe Wilson is Joe Wilson has name recognition. He has name recognition, not just because he, you know, has I think he's been um, the congressman for the second congressional district. I want to say for the better part of 20 years. But of course, he's Joe. You lie, Wilson. He's the cat that told President Obama in the joint session of Congress, like you lie. He's that guy. So, I mean, I'm trying to to me. He's I mean, he hasn't done anything for the district. You know, a lot of different things I can say about Joe Wilson where I want to see him get up out of there. It was a no brainer for me to, you know, sit down and want to talk to Sean Kerrigan. But far too often, you know, the uh, we got candidates, we got the political establishment that, you know, really engages people at the last second. And they do that. I think there are a lot of reasons they they do that. Um, But the one I'm going to outline for the sake of this podcast is I think it's the response to voter apathy. I really believe that the political establishment thinks if they engage people in the political process too early, people will lose interest. So this is why you don't hear from your political candidates before like 30 days before the election. That's when you get a a big push. And very rarely do you, you know, find a political entity or the political establishment. You very rarely do you see them run a campaign like where it's like really like just an impassioned campaign, like months and months and months and months, you know, before it's actually election day. Now, two things happen when you do that. The first thing that happens when you do that is, and and this is of, of of a major concern to me is you trivialize black people. You don't just trivialize the black vote. You trivialize the black voice is my contention. I will say it from here to forever you know we gotta start black media man when i say again when we talk about black representation it's not just about a black face it's about having black people who are going to not only speak to the wide range of black folks not just black people who've made it or black people who you know are um are in the middle class or you know in the upper class but you got to speak to all black but you got to speak to a wide range of black people. And I feel like the political establishment has turned its back on black media. Now, if you know the history of, you know, uh, telecommunications um, bills and different things like that, then you'll understand like why things are so perilous for black media. If you, I mean, you can even look at, I mean, what happened, 
you know, just like with BT and Tavis Smiley. And I mean, like when you look at just how Michael Basin show is like transition, I'm just talking about like recent history. Like what what basically what's happening to black media is this black media is not seen as a viable news outlet. It's only seen as a viable entertainment outlet. And some of that is the fault of the consumer. But when you willfully disregard black media as the political establishment has done, when you refuse to run ads until the, you know, 11th hour, when you, if at all, when you do that, you, because that also has an economic impact on black media. When you disregard black media, I mean, you're basically, you're, you're disregarding black people. And this takes me to an earlier commentary that I made on this podcast my again, so, so much of this stuff is, is really just tied into American history It's tied into black people being treated like second class citizens, because if you can disregard a black media, black people, why, why is that significant? When you look at the two party system, the two party system really is a clash. People think it's a clash between black and white. No, the two party system is a clash between white liberals and white conservatives. And I've told you guys on this show before the difference between white conservatives and white liberals, white conservatives say we don't care what black people have to say, like at all, period. We have our our bread and butter. It's not black people, which I've said in the past is ironic because black people, if you if you look at our religious views, if you look at our views on um, on marriage, you know, if you look at a, a lot of just our our moral views, black people are very conservative, but GOP don't care about that. Democrats want Democrats will take your concerns, but then they'll say, well, 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 now we'll speak for you. That's the difference between white liberals, white conservatives. But the end result of that is that black people don't get to speak for themselves. And I think if you look at just the state of minorities in this country, If you see where you can't say that black people on the whole are stagnant. No, we're dipping. I mean, we're we're continuing to dip below below the poverty line, you know, um, future results in terms of economics, in terms of home ownership, in terms of, you know, um, child rearing and and different things like that. Those things are on the downslope. And you're even seeing like we're seeing an uptick you know, among the Hispanic population, different things like that. We're seeing all, all of these things happen within a span of 20 years. We're seeing all these things that are happening, you know, uh, during the time where we had a black president. Something's not right here. And what ended up happening was that, again, we confuse black representation as something that's just an issue of what we see. It's just an issue of image. Does it look good to us? Instead of looking at, well, did did our supposed representation adequately address the issues facing black people? And still the cycle continues. And I and I want to talk about that cycle, because what that cycle looks like is despite everything that's happened in the past, you still have the same uh, caretakers of white supremacy who look like black, who look like, look, are of dark skin, are caramel skin. Our look, look like me and you, they're telling you to go vote, go vote, go vote. And they're not they're not giving you any context with which to go vote. They're not telling you, you know, to research your candidates. They're not telling you to, you know, look at the sample ballot. They're not telling you to hold people accountable 
for your vote. They're just telling you just to go vote. Look, man, I'm about to go to commercial, man. But I mean, people just need to start asking questions, man. I mean, look, <laughs> when people say we need your vote, I mean, here's how you should respond to them. Dead real. Yo, why is Jada Kiss as hard as it gets? Why is the industry designed to keep the artists in debt? And why them dudes ain't riding if they party your set? And why they never get it popping but they party to death? Yeah, and why they gonna give you life for a murder? Turn around, only give you eight months for a going down why they selling people cds for under a dime and if it's all love daddy why you come with your why my homies ain't get that cake why it's a brother up north better than jordan that ain't get that break why you ain't stack instead of trying to be fly why is ratting at an all-time high why are you even alive why they kill tupac and chris why at the bar you don't take straight shots instead of popping chris why them bullets have to hit that door why did kobe have to hit that raw why he kiss that raw why and powder why they knock down the towers why you around them cowards why leah have to take that flight why my homie d ain't pull out his ferrari why he take that bike why they gotta open your package and read your mail why they stop letting brothers get degrees in jail why you gotta do 85 percent of your time and why do rappers lie in 85 percent of their rhymes why brother always want what he can't have why i can't come through when the pecan jack why they crack have to hit so hard even though it's almost over why people can't get no jobs why they come up with the witness protection why they let the terminator win the election come on pay attention why selling the stores what you can sell in the streets why i say the hottest but be selling the least why white man papa to get an oscar and why denzel have to be crooked before he took it why they didn't make the cl6 with a clutch and if you don't smoke then why the hell you reaching for my why rap cause i need airtime. why be on the curb with a wild lie i need a bear sign why all the young brothers is dying cause they moms at work they pops is gone they living with why they ain't give us a cure for AIDS? Why my diesel have fiends in the spot on the floor for days? Why you screaming like it's a slog? It's only the hawk. Why my buzz in LA ain't like it is in New York? Why they forcing you to be hard? Why ain't you a thug by choice? Why the whole world love my voice? Why I try to tell them that it's the flow, son? And you know why they made the new 20s? Because I got all the old ones. That's why.
name is Lauren Macon, and you are listening to Making a Difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. Bruh, if nobody hold me down, my wife gonna hold me down, man. <laughs> You're back to Making a Difference, man. I'm your host, Ken Macon. I want to talk about the cycle, man. It's like, with all of the things, and here's the, okay, let's talk about, I'm gonna just talk about Kanye. I ain't gonna take too long to talk about Kanye, because Kanye was talking about a lot of foolishness, man. He was talking about how the dang on MAGA hat made him feel like Superman, and all this jibber-jabber about Larry Hoover. Kanye was really out of Kanye been out of bounds. But Kanye was talking about, you know, abolishing the 13th Amendment and, you know, like just a whole bunch of foolery. First of all, you don't abolish amendments. You amend amendments. <laughs> I mean, that's it's, it's as simple as that. But, you know, Kanye's been saying a lot about, you know, the Democratic Party hasn't done this. Democratic Party hasn't done that. And Kanye's me. Look, man, Kanye got or Kanye had God rest their souls. Kanye had college educated parents, man, professors. Kanye know what's going on out here, man. Kanye knows contextually, like when you like when you talk about or or I should say Kanye knows contextually why black people traditionally vote Democrat. It's because Democrats push for the voting rights act. You know, it was Democrats who, you know, were so uh, strongly aligned with, you know, a lot of the civil rights movement in the 60s. That's why black people vote Democrat. But I mean, if and I mean, that's just so representative of, of black people, because a lot of folks put them put the revolution down in the 60s. And because they put it down, we're, we're looking 50 years later and a lot of those rights that people fought and died for are being, you know, cut away or being gutted like, you know, the Voting Rights Act itself. I mean, when you look at Shelby versus Foster, Shelby County versus Foster. I mean, a lot a lot of these rights are being gutted because people don't understand the fight is perpetual. The, you know, the 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 business of, of civil rights, the business of politics is perpetual. It's not something that you can afford to put down because you put it down, you may pick it up and you don't have what you used to have. That's why I'm sitting up here saying, you know, you know, as we're talking about the black vote, like we we just can't vote. <laughs> Look, if if Democrats are are not going to specifically pick up the issues of black people, not people of color, black people. If Democrats can't, if, if they can't say black, then I can't vote Democrat. I mean, straight like that, man. And I know what y'all and I and I know where we're going to get to with this discussion. Well, Ken, we only have two options, Democrat, Republican. All right. Y'all told me the same thing in 2016 when I voted third party. And people said, well, you know, we need time to, you know, build strong candidates and, and blah, 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 and so on and so forth. People, like I said, people talk cash in 2016. They said, come 2018, oh, we getting all these Republicans out of here. There is nothing. There is nothing that I've seen in the news. There's nothing that I've seen with these political candidates that's leading me to think that there's going to be a blue wave. Anti-Trumpism is not... Br- <laughs> <laughs> look the majority of, of america like trump's approval rate like the majority of americans don't fool with trump they, ha- they haven't that hasn't stopped the, the gop at all that hasn't stopped the republican movement at all that hasn't stopped that didn't stop the kavanaugh appointment y'all understand what i'm saying man like i'm just i'm trying to keep it a buck with people man like i know people getting their feelings about this stuff man but i'm just talking i'm talking about what is happening out here right now I mean, a matter of fact, I'm gonna make this thing live for you. Shout out my man Jerome, man. Shout out my man Rome. Rome, that's that's his core. I'm gonna make it live for you. All right, I'm seeing now. Here was the 
at the end of the end of the primaries, we had Stacey Abrams in Georgia. Yeah, Andrew Gillum in Georgia. We got uh, Ben uh, Ben uh, Ben Jealous Ben Zealous in uh, in Maryland. And so this was, you know, billed as you know the first black governor, or could be the first black governor in Georgia, could be the first black governor in Florida, and. I'm always disappointed, like with the whole like in 2018, like. So you telling me this is like the first time like that we've had like worthy black candidates? Of course not. It just speaks to like. I mean, just the backwoods politics, man, of like of Georgia, of Florida. I mean, you know, Maryland, that's virtually your nation's capital, man. But anyway, you know, you got these candidates there. I mean, I get it. It's a sort. It's a source of black pride. That's cool. So, Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams has actually raised $6 million for her campaign. Well, when I last, I checked about, gosh, it must have been a month ago, she raised $6 million for her campaign. Wow. Brian Kemp only raised $5.1 million. I mean, that's that's dope. But then I had to go, but see, my thing is, it's like when I see, you know, people raise a certain amount of money, I got to see, well, who, you know, who's, who's funding this campaign? And I see the name Soros. Soros is a huge... You know, um, Democratic uh, fundraiser or, you know, a huge Democratic supporter. But it falls in line with, you know, like a certain regime. You know, it's kind of that that Clinton culture, if you will. It's that neoliberalism It's that, you know, it's the uh, it's the illusion of a black vote. It's the uh, illusion of black representation in all actuality, like the. The biggest issue in Georgia, really, to me, is the fact that you have the secretary of state, Brian Kemp. And understand the secretary of state, like oversees the whole like the the election process. How is how is that? How can that do? Be allowed to oversee the election process during an election where he's running for governor. Like that's such that's a conflict of interest out of this world, man. Like to the point where. Win, lose, or draw, whatever happens Tuesday, November 6th, the night of or the morning of Wednesday, November 7th, like, if Stacey Abrams loses, man, she, I mean, she got more than the right to file a lawsuit. I mean, and you know the Republicans going to gum stuff up, man. That's just, I mean, they just, they messing stuff up, man. That's like, that's like the culture right now. But I mean, all of this, all of this is bad for business. It's bad for the business of people, which is which policy is really supposed to be policies is supposed to be the business of people. You got Andrew Gillum and it's like, okay, man, his brother really came from nowhere in the primary to secure a democratic nomination. That was exciting. Now I'm hearing he's going to tour Hillary Clinton. Why? It's just politics as usual, man. And it's so frustrating. And because it's politics as usual, like we don't see the changes um, that need to be made, like in urban black communities and rural black, uh, black communities. Like we just I mean, we don't see poverty conditions get better because the two party establishment knows as long as we put a black face in a position of power, black folks are going to be satisfied with it. And that's a shame. man. And it's not just an anti Clinton thing for me. It's like it's the way that I'm watching Stacey Abrams, Andrew Gillum. I'm watching folks run their campaigns like they're not even running their campaigns as if black people are a swing vote. Like people are running their campaigns. I'm talking about black, black, black candidates are running their campaigns um, to where they just uh, they're they automatically assume that they have the black vote. They're not even courting the black vote. They're courting 
and I'm not saying this is wrong, they're courting the LGBTQ vote. They're courting, you know, white white women. Like, white women are a swing vote. Like, I mean, there's so much going on politically with Me Too, different things like that. To the point where, again, like, the, battle, like I, the battlefield is one side of whiteness versus another side of whiteness. And black folks are being left out. And all the while, you have this political minority that, you know, may be a majority in terms of, you know, like, resources. They're... They... They've already taken it from you on a national level. They, they got the White House. They got the they got Congress. They got the Senate. They've taken it from you there. Pay attention to some of these local elections. To where you have traditional, you know, Democratic, I'm not going to say strongholds, but you have Democratic candidates who may, you know, have been on the school board for many years or may have been on the commission for many years. And now you're starting to see a swing to where some of these T-publicans are making are starting to make their presence felt on a local level. I mean, there, there's a lot to be there's a lot to think about here, man. And so, like, you know, you've seen this presumed nationwide trend of a blue wave. But in actuality, like you kind of look under under underground and it's just a totally different shift. I'm going to talk about what black folks need to do now. And I'm just going to you know, close out this podcast by just creating a, a very realistic political picture uh, after give us about two minutes. District 5 in all of Aiken County. My name is Juanita Hall. I am a candidate for Aiken County Council District 5 Council seat. On Tuesday, November 6, I need your vote. I was born and raised in District 5. I am running on the platform of transparency and opportunity. Aiken County is growing in leaps and bounds, but we have to make sure that our rural communities are not left out of the important developments. District 5 needs affordable options for public transportation and garbage collection. We must ensure that taxpayers' funds, especially those from capital projects, are allocated to unserved communities. I believe my participation in local politics and my 42 years of working experience in SRNS have uniquely qualified me to be your councilwoman in District 5. I need just one thing. Your vote. Aiken County, I encourage you to vote early. If you are unable to do so, please make sure you get out on Election Day, which is Tuesday, November the 6th, and vote for me, Juanita Hall. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. At first, I was going to name this podcast Black and Blue just to kind of, you know, talk about black people. And then, you know, of course, the, the presumed blue way that was coming. I thought that, you know, I didn't want to make this solely by Democrats. I, I wanted to try to try to create like a bigger picture just to try to really outline just a general understanding about the importance of the black vote and just how we should value that vote. Uh, my concern. And, and again, I'm, I'm going to outline a, a picture for what we should do now um, as individuals and also as a as a people. And, you know, I always talk about this during the show, man, like I don't want us to be a monolith. But I do want us to be an effective voting block that all political parties have to respect. And I think that once people respect us as a voting block, I think you will start to see um, some changes in terms of black media, um, in terms of just, you know, black offerings, things that are going to that are going to strengthen the community as a whole. When you have black media, it serves to help everyone because it's a it's a source of information. Think about, you know, just 
so many so much of the tragedy of of what happens among black people is a lack of opportunity. And the reason why those opportunities are lacking is because you don't readily have the information. Um, just think about this, because I know you guys are listening from all over you know, the country. I know some of you guys are actually out of the country, but I just want you to think about wherever you are. You know, how do you get your news? Do you get your news from, you know, when you think about your, your TV stations or, you know, your uh, social media, are those entities black owned or white owned? And some of you guys, I mean, Augusta Richmond County is 55 to 60 percent black. You're look, I've said this before in Augusta, Richmond County, you have black, uh, predominantly black elected officials. But who tells the stories? White folks tell the stories. Ken, what's the significance of that? It's, it's the inherent bias. So what happens is you you may have black elected officials, but when it comes to the newspaper and they're telling a local story, they're telling a story about community concerns. They're telling it from the perspective from the perception or from the perspective of white people. So, again, the black voice is silenced, even though you have black representation in office and black representation really shouldn't let that happen. But it happens. I mean, it's happening in Augusta. What we must do now as a people is we must make people respect our vote. And if they're not going to respect their vote, then we have to have the conviction and we have to uplift people who are not tied politically, but who are tied to people who are tied to the betterment of a community. If that looks like building strong third party candidates, so be it. I was talking to a political candidate recently who said, you know, she's tired of the whole, you know, Democrat and Republican because, it, I mean, it, it really doesn't serve a purpose. It, it divides people more than it unites people. I mean, I think that goes without saying when you look at just how hyper political things are now and just how hyper partisan things are now. But, yeah, as individuals, we got to uplift third party candidates, uh, uplift third party candidates or, or, you know, good, adequate candidates. I think we have to uplift the media. I think whenever you have an opportunity to support good black media, absolutely do that. I'm not, I'm not just saying making a difference. I'm just saying good black media support that. That's important. It, it, it's a it's a diverse voice. It's a voice that is desperately needed, you know, during a time where black people are grossly underrepresented. I think as individuals, it's imperative. I said this all the time. You got to involve yourself in the political process. You'll be surprised at how many organizations will actually put a Democratic or Republican name on their actual, uh, you know, organization or party and don't attend political meetings, y'all. You cannot be politically involved or politically engaged if you don't know what's going on in your city. And in order to do that, you got to go to your city council meetings. You got to go to commission meetings. You got to go to these public meetings. And you also have to be comfortable with taking that information and disseminating it among family, friends, organizations, wherever necessary we have to become more politically conscious and speaking of of conscious and i i, I do want to say this i wish i had said it at the beginning of the podcast but i'm gonna say it now and i'm saying this with all confidence man black people are the voting consciousness of america i'm gonna tell you how i can say that look we didn't put trump in office we voted trump down you think about down in alabama when you know it was uh, was it Doug Jones versus the who was it Roy Moore, the fellow that was on the horse and had all this foolishness going on? How did black people vote? We came out and we voted a candidate we believed in. Black people are the voting consciousness of America. But I want you to think about something now. When that voting comp- consciousness doesn't get out to vote, it's not. It shouldn't be an indictment of black people. It should be an indictment of this country. When you think about the atrocities that this country has, you know. Um, 
committed against black people and continues to commit against black people. And still, you know, you say, well, why don't why don't black people involve themselves with the political process? You have people who I say this all the time, work 50 to 60 hours a week and still cannot afford to take care of their, their, their children, can't afford to take care of themselves. That's not an indictment of the individual. That's not to say that that individual is lazy. That's an indictment. Of, to me, that's an indictment of government. Why don't we have enough jobs? Why don't we have enough opportunities? Why is it that we roll out the red carpet for corporations and we roll out the red carpet for big business, but we do not do the same for individuals, for people who have been committed to a city or a, a government uh, for a lifetime? Why why don't we roll, roll out the red carpet for those folks? These are the challenges of government. And if we're if there are going to be challenges in government, then we got to step up to the challenge. We got to step up to the challenges of black people and at the end of the day, understand that your vote, our vote is so precious. It's an issue of respect. And I don't care who you are. I don't care how big the election is. If you're not going to make yourself accessible to, to candidates, to black, excuse me, if you're not going to make yourself accessible to black voters, if you're not going to be transparent to black voters, don't come back after you lose the election and say, well, black people should have voted. No, because the way I see it, if you're not going to present yourself in front of the voting consciousness of America, then I'm just going to assume you have no conscience. That's my time for today, y'all, man. I, I appreciate you guys listening so much. Look, I know I try to do a little quick hit podcast, man, because I know you guys have a lot going on, man, but there's just a lot that I want to address here. Um, obviously, I wanted to encourage you guys to get out and vote. This is not, you know, a, a, a podcast that is anti-voting. I just want people to be conscientious. I just want you to go to the polls prepared, you know, and, I want look if you're listening to this podcast, get uh, get a sample ballot before you go to the polls. Listen to me, y'all. Before you go to the polls, you can you can go to your local board of elections. You can go to your local um, wherever it is that you that you vote and you can get a sample ballot, get a sample ballot. Prepare yourself for the election before you go into that booth. If you have opportunity to vote early. Please vote early, man, because so many different things can happen on Election Day. You never know what might come up. If you have an opportunity to vote early, please vote early. Please do that. Augusta, Richmond County, you can vote right now. Look, you can you can vote early. Take advantage of those opportunities, man. I want people to vote early. I want people to be informed when they vote. I want I want anything and everything that you can do to facilitate the political process and understand that this is just a beginning, y'all. This is not the end because people will have you say, well, you know what? As long as you vote in a in an even year, look, as long as you vote in the midterms and uh and uh for the for the president, you all right. No, 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 no. This is the beginning. I need y'all to vote every time there's an opportunity to vote. I need you to is if you can go to uh, your city council meeting, your commission meeting, your school board meeting, let's start going to these meetings, y'all. We gotta do better politically, man. Because look. Our, not just our votes riding on it, our voices riding on it. Ken Macon, love y'all. Just want to remind you guys, soundcloud.com backslash making a difference, facebook.com backslash making a difference show. You can uh, email me at Gmail. It's uh, making a difference show, M-A-K-I-N, a different show at gmail.com. I'm Ken Macon. Love you guys so much. Peace and God bless. Thank you for listening to this episode of Making a Difference. 
but the movement doesn't stop here. You can follow us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com backslash making M-A-K-I-N a difference. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash making M-A-K-I-N a difference show. That's the best way to keep up with all of our podcasts and video logs. Love you guys so much. Peace and God bless. You win. Perfect.